Hello and welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a bi-weekly podcast devoted to exploring successful legal marketing strategies that drive new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. In every episode, you'll find actionable takeaways that you can implement immediately. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, a bonus follow-up to the month-long mini-series on web design for law firms, I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Acker and Nathan Crandall of Adventure House. Alex is the president of Adventure House, and Nathan is an interactive producer at the agency. Adventure House is an agency with the digital smarts and know-how to help your firm navigate its way through the shoots and ladders of effective web design and digital marketing. Alex and Nathan, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Hi, Mike. Nice to be here. Hello. And just to be clear, that was Alex first and then Nathan, so you can recognize their voices. So let's just start really quickly with an overview of of the agency, how long you've been around, and what your typical clients look like, what your typical project engagements look like. So Adventure House is 25 years old, and we're located in Chelsea, New York. And we work with clients primarily in the professional services area, I would say with a heavy concentration in financial services. The type of projects that clients engage us for range from full website builds to marketing their product or service in really creative uh, ways that have a focus on content, that have a focus on creative strategy, and really using animation, video, and all the tools available to us via the web to get that message out to their customers effectively. The core of the conversation, the reason that you're here is you had given a presentation that I was at a while back on UX, on user experience, which I thought really encapsulated a lot of these ideas very well and a lot of these problems that a lot of firms I've heard struggle with in these redesign processes. So I wanted to you know, talk about that. So could, could you guys just quickly talk about what, what UX is and how you define it here at, at Adventure House? Yeah, so user experience really is the core of a uh, an effective website. Um, you know, it really improves the the experience between the user and the brand. I mean, the brand is the company and or the product that they are selling on the space, and really the uh, the user experience is is a holistic process comprised of a number of. Um, of aspects that provide the user with really the, the best experience when interacting with um, that company's brand. In terms of the user experience itself, a core of the user experience is user interface. When we talk about websites, I mean, we're really talking about the navigation of the website, the information architecture, the uh, interaction between the information, and the overall creative look and feel. How does it make you feel? The information architecture, which we're going to go to, my colleague Nathan is going to go to in, into our simplification process, but the, in, the information architecture, it's critical for that to be absolutely logical and sound for a user to have the best experience, because that's going to be the underpinnings of, of a simple experience to go from point A to B versus point a, B, C, D to get to point E. The faster a user gets to the information that they need and to self-serve for what they want, uh, the better the experience will be. Which sort of answered another, the, next, the follow-up question to that, which was you know, the relationship between UX, UI, and IA. And essentially, IA, information architecture, uh, UI, user interface, are essentially components 
of user experience. Is that is that fair? Yeah. So the the user experience is it encompasses essentially everything. Anything that relates to the experience of the user is part of user experience, and so the the user interface and the information architecture are all part of that. An information architecture, just quickly, that's sort of the structure of, of how the information flows within the website and, and sort of the, the structural elements behind the design, is that? Correct. It encompasses both the navigation as well as just the top-level view of how all of the information is organized on the site. And so we could drill down further and say that information architecture really is, is you know, that 10,000-foot view of any website is a site map. And then a site map then drills down into all the specific parts of a website now, if you were doing a sitemap for a site seven years ago, you might have a diagram that had many, many boxes interrelating with each other. And that really meant websites back then were much more convoluted with little content on a lot more pages. So websites today are much more structured they run and they scroll longer, and they have the ability to really uh, be much more concise in their data. So a sitemap today might look like a third of what it would have been maybe five or six years ago. You, you touched on this, but just very quickly, you know, why is UX important? I would say UX is important because the experience of the user is important. At the end of the day, the whole point of making a website is so people will use it and get the information they need and perhaps even enjoy that experience. So keeping that in mind and making sure that every decision points towards the, a positive experience for the user is hands down the most important thing you can do when building a website. And a positive experience for the user will lead to conversions, you know, and then there'll be a positive experience for the business. Any viewer trends or any web trends that are exacerbating the need for good UX, uh, for really focusing on usability, either in terms of people becoming more savvy in the way that they use the web or the drive towards mobile, things like that? In October of 2016, there was a pivotal moment when more web pages were actually being viewed on a mobile phone and on a tablet than on a desktop. And you would have thought that we would have reached that data uh, point by now, but we actually, it only happened a few months ago. And we're at a point now where that meant content consumption needs to really be thought of in a, in a whole new fresh way that yes, you need to have a fantastic experience on the desktop, but if you're not thinking of your mobile phone as a viable channel for people to be uh, consuming content and purchasing services while in bed, then you're not thinking of your website effectively. Before we get to the content simplification, could you guys just quickly run through uh, your process and how UX get, gets implemented through the, the design process? Sure. So we start with a discovery process, which involves mostly research of various kinds. So we'll, we'll interview people in the company. We will interview users if possible. We, we'll review any data that we have access to. And the goal is to get as much information as possible to inform decisions later in the process. Then there will be a creative brief, which is basically a way for us to get on the same page as the client as to what the goals are and so everyone understands what we're trying to do. Then we go into content simplification. And the way we do that is we, we will pull all of the content from the site. And often there's content that's not on the site yet. So we'll 
talk to the client about any sort of content they want to get into the site and if they have documentation on that. But the goal is to get everything consolidated into one, usually one spreadsheet document where we can review everything holistically and see how it relates to each other and see what content from our discovery phase, what content was resonating with users, what are they going to, what do their goals seem to be. And we organize all of that content into, into a format that we can then um, rewrite it. So after that, we go into information architecture, which is it's a very close process to the content simplification. So all of that content that we've sort of assessed and organized now gets further refined into information architecture. We define all of our pages, determine about what's going to be on them, and then then we go into writing all of that content. So now we have all of our pages defined in the information architecture. We have all of that information and notes from previous passes. So all of the content gets rewritten to enhance the brand. And while all of this is happening, we've also been starting with creative concepts and interpreting the brand for the new website and then designing the user interface. These things happen at the same time, just for timing reasons. If you tried to do them one after the other, it would take forever to make a website. Once all of these things come together, the website is developed. So we're going to focus on, on the content simplification part of this equation, because I feel like a lot of law firm websites that I see and a lot of marketers that I talk to in law firms, there's, there's a huge challenge where there's a lot of content coming out of law firms. I mean, I've, I've heard them described as, as content generating machines. So when they have to simplify and pull it back to like their key messaging and to really clarify how they communicate it. I think this is a huge challenge for firms. So I, I think it's a, a really important topic and I think it'll be extremely useful for them. And it's, it's useful, not just from a, like, you should do this because it's the right thing to do. I mean, that's true. This is best practices. But the first episode of this year, Eva Wisnick was on and she was talking about which firms she's seeing hiring and who is strong in terms of who's doing a lot of business and who's got a lot of work. And the firms that were doing the most work, the firms that were busy were those that had a clear brand message that had a really strong identity. Uh, and the key to that really is communicating that to your clients. So cutting out all of the unnecessary content, or at least clarifying by putting the simple message up front, I think is super important. So there are basically, there's two types of content on any website. There's the front end marketing content. So the front end marketing content, which is basically the value proposition, why this legal entity, why I should choose this entity over this other one. I mean, that's always a challenge for a customer in order to understand why this company is going to choose that. So when, you know, when a customer is in a buying position, and buying necessarily isn't the right term for a lawyer, but it's, you, know, it, it, you are making a choice of who to engage, you have to evaluate the lawyer on a number of aspects, their experience, their potential case studies with success rates, important facts, history how many years of experience the partners or whatnot have. So really boiling down all the facts and figures that that make up the value proposition of the company are critical to a, a customer understanding what the how the company through the website is a good choice for me. Now in terms of the blog content or whatnot, so that is probably where customers are actually, you know, having a lot of content is probably okay because at that point you're getting into the thought leadership 
and you could easily sort and you could and you could organize that type of content in a way where it's it's really logical for a customer to kind of go through it's almost like an archive of of expertise so i just wanted to just clarify that there's the front end marketing content which should be short succinct to the point and really action oriented and then there's the thought leadership content which is it's critical to keep on the website but it should be really um, structured in a way where it's easy to get through which is uh, that was that was the answer to my next two questions so we're we're good i mean something that that i saw that i thought was really interesting actually uh, last week or the week before on the uh the mad clientist blog which is bti consulting uh, has this blog they were talking in their video that some of the bigger firms firms that service many practice areas they have five practice areas front and center and that's what they talk about. And if you dig down into a, you know, certain attorney's bios, you'll find that they practice in other areas, but they're really simplifying it. And so when you talk about the marketing, is that really what you're talking about? Really pushing your core expertise um, up front and then pushing sort of longer form content further down the, the pipeline or further out, out in the website? Well, it's, it's logical, you know, because if you're evaluating a, a firm to represent you for your interest, What's the first thing you want to see? You want to understand what their their offering is, what their value proposition is. So yes, it's really it's boiling down the marketing content into I would say shorter form, form, but it's also making sure that some of the longer form content is not really. It could be structured in a way where it's logical and potentially is stored more on a another section of the website. But certainly some of the thought leadership and the expertise that, and the insights gleaned from that content should be brought to the forefront so that when somebody is evaluating your company, the content and the long form content is really distilled into, into nuggets of information that somebody will, will gain insight from and really say, OK, well, this, this is a smart company. Because at the end of the day, a law firm has very similar services from firm to firm. So you really want to differentiate your company with the smart content and the smart ways that you think about things and really bring that up front to the forefront so that a potential buyer will see that. So what does the process of, of simplifying the content look like in terms of actually deciding what's important? I suppose when I say important, what's strategically important in terms of business development goals uh, and, and target client groups? You know, how, how does that process actually look when you get down to the nitty gritty of a project? Ultimately, when you're trying to when you have all of your content collected and you're trying to figure out what what the essence of it is. That's when it's a really great idea to, again, think about what your user actually cares about. And that's going back to the research phase. So it's, it can get exhausting when you're going through lots of content. And there's a tendency, if you try to do it all at once, to sort of just start keeping all of it. Say, well, this kind of has important. I can think of how this would be beneficial to someone. Let's put it in the pile. And what you end up with is all of your content that you started with, if you follow that. So it's, it's a good idea to really, to really be critical and, and find ways to be extra critical at times just to get through and, and make sure that everything is being evaluated through the lens of what the user really needs to do and, and trying to keep it tight. To, to your earlier question about number of practice areas, it's, it's important to think about the psychology of choice. Even if you do 15 things pretty well, 
a user who's who's absorbing this content doesn't really want to think about 15 things all at once. They probably prefer to think of something closer to five as in your example that's that's something that's comfortable it's a comfortable amount of information for the user to digest and that's important to keep in mind even if all of it seems to have importance doesn't mean that it's a good idea to give all of it to the user at the same time when you're looking at the user's needs how do you strike a balance between what the user wants and what the firm strategically wants to push those users to do or not to do if it saves them having to you know, reject clients that aren't appropriate. So, so, you know, let's say that firm has 15 practice groups and five of them represent 90% of their revenue. They really want to drive those. So that the strategic decision would be to put those up front. Yeah, that's a particularly easy decision. If five, <laughs> five of their 15 is 90% of their business. But, but how do you balance that kind of strategic need with, with say, user needs? I, I guess that's sort of the, the question I have. Because something like a law firm would be, you know, if, if you're a, a consumer brand, um, or you're selling a service that's very easily sold. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a little bit more obvious that the consumer needs and your user needs are going to be super important. Well, like Apple, for example, they have, uh, what, seven key products from iPhone, iPad, Mac, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, that's their key areas of focus. And then with as you drill down, you could, if you wanted further accessories, they, you know, second level of navigation. It's the same thing with any law practice. Really, it starts with interviewing and understanding. When we interview our clients for a new engagement, or rather when we, are in, when we are hired for a new engagement, the first five steps have, you know, we're not creative concepting or whatnot. We're really looking at the information. We're talking to CEOs of companies and understanding what are their business objectives today and what are their business objectives in three years? How should we be structuring things? So really understanding what you know, key strategic business objectives up front are is absolutely critical. And then really it's then looking at the data and substantiating that, okay, are actually website users looking at the things that they currently want? And if they are, then great. And if they're not, then we obviously know that there's an issue to correct. So there's a lot of upfront work and information gathering and really just sleuthing around um, and really understanding, you know, and validating actually um, what they want versus what their plan is to achieve that, um, you know, really in the first probably month and a half of an engagement. I think when you're trying to find that balance between the, the business objectives and the user's needs, it's it's usually better to side with the user. Usually in a, in a large company, and we have a lot of experience with financial companies, various business lines always want to have their business line really, really up front and center. And if everybody gets their way, you end up having a very complicated and, and cluttered front of your website. It's important to make sure that everybody understands that ultimately they all do well when the user has a positive experience with the website and finding ways to make it easy to get to everyone's content without cluttering and putting it all right in the user's face right away. And that's, that's always a balance and there's always a lot of, of back and forth and, and solving small problems when, when you have to, when you have to find that balance. So I, I took us off on a bit of a tangent there, but so let's come back to, to the process and, and what does the actual 
when you're simplifying the content for for a website for for a redesign what does that actually look like what does the process look like in terms of internal and then in communication with with the client what we like to do is first of all we use automated processes to pull all of the content into a digestible way that gets it away from the site organization as it is and that in practice looks like pulling all of the URLs from a website and putting it into a big spreadsheet. And not only the URLs, it could be all the PDFs, it could be all the blog articles. You could have a list of maybe 1,500 of those. And in most cases, the client has a better understanding of the content than we do just coming to it. So we like to sit down with a client and have some usually some long meetings initially going through all of the content and getting an understanding of what the value is, what it's for. So a lot of it can be gotten rid of. Usually there's sort of a cleaning house that happens in this early stage. And then once we have an understanding of it, then it's really about assessing how all of these disparate pieces of information can be combined into content stories. So perhaps there's several um, individual pages on a site that are all talking about a very similar topic, but they're they're spread out. We like to bring those into one user story, preferably one page, so that the content can can scroll through and and the user can simply read the content and and be passed off through the scroll to to relevant points down the line. At what point do you start? I don't know, filtering or channeling that content into either different pages or into different channels, say social versus a main page or, you know, content marketing things versus that homepage. When does that process start? Or is that more of an IA issue that comes after that we've simplified the content? Am I, am I getting ahead of the process? Typically you identify all your different channels beforehand, but it's just in terms of the written content on the, the website. So to pick up where Nathan left off, so after you boil down all the URLs, you, you, you know, then becomes a really, uh, <laughs> I, I want to say scientific, you know, it is scientific-like process where uh, we have experts that analyze each of the URLs and say, okay, well, there is a lot of repetition of similar content. We could group um, these 15 disparate URLs onto one particular page. And then we have a process in which we will take that long list of URLs, reclassify them, um, reorganize them into a grid which puts all the similar business content on, on one area. And then it could classify it as these potential 20 pages could potentially go into these three pages. And then we just keep doing that process for every aspect of the site. And then what you wind up with is it just it looks overwhelming, but it's actually very technical in terms of a lot of URLs, how we show them boiling down into a smaller portion of content. And then at the end of the day, after we get the client's buy-in on that overall guideline, that becomes the the starting point for actually writing the content for the new site because once you've identified all the URLs that could boil down to a smaller number of pages, what has to happen is that the writer or the content expert or a team of individuals, depending on the size of the site, will then have to comb through the content on that page to identify redundancies 
and to identify what content's missing, and then to also bring in what new content, because chances are, at that point in time, once a new website's being built, there's going to be new products or services that have to be added to the existing lineup. So we use color coding and tagging to identify existing content that will be merged or combined, content that will be eliminated, and content that will be added. So at the end of the day, you have a very colorful spreadsheet, which depending on the site, could be quite robust and quite a lot of information, but it becomes basically the blueprint for an effective new website that is very streamlined, very simple, and really gets back to the topic of our conversation, a better user experience. So let's close here. Just quickly, what are some questions firms should be asking as they're looking at their current websites in terms of its usability, uh, in terms of how effective is this in allowing my users to reach the information that they want uh, and ultimately to hopefully convert into clients? If you know what your users need from your website, and if you don't, that's the first thing you should be asking. But if you do know what your users need, um, one of the best things to do is just yourself go do a little experiment where you go to your website and you see how long it takes you to get to that information. If it happens in a few clicks and a scroll, you're probably fine. If you're like doing 10 clicks, that's probably not fine. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you, you know, we've said the word experience probably 300 times in this in this uh, podcast, but really at the end of the day, it is that experience. If you don't provide it, you know, if you don't build it, they will not come. I mean, they will not come to your website. They will not evaluate you as a potential firm to hire, and they will not engage your services because there is a lot of choice out there. I feel that a lot of legal websites today really aren't taking advantage of the fact that the internet provides them with the ability to, you know, and provides the tools uh, as a company to really to differentiate your brand. And you could look at other successful websites, even outside of legal, as what we call them aspirational websites. We always ask our clients, what's an aspirational website that you that you think is a good reference for an agency to use when building out their website. It could be in, in restaurants, right? It just, you know, you know, I'm gonna bring back Apple for a second. When we look at these Apple products, and I'm an Apple user, not an Android user, uh, you know, we we lust after them. Why can't why can't a user lust after a law firm? I mean, there there is a line to cross beyond the traditional to something that makes the law firm extremely appealing in achieving what their goals are. If you're an M&A attorney or if you're a criminal attorney, and if you're in a position of, I need somebody to get my, my so-and-so out of jail to, I need somebody in this very uh, important business transaction, there is still a thought process, and that sometimes that happens in, in a fraction of a second that someone goes through in order to make a decision that this is a legal entity that I feel I could trust. Because in a, in a split second, a customer is going to, to um, use your website as, as a way to understand that if this is a company that I could trust and I feel that will do what they say they could do. Excellent. Alex, Nathan, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio podcast. Uh, Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, 
legalmarketing.studio. Note that there's no .com there. It is just legalmarketing.studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on both iTunes and on SoundCloud. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss on the show or know someone who might, please send an email to producer at legalmarketing.studio or reach out via the contact page on our website, legalmarketing.studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry. We're based in Brooklyn, New York, and work with clients nationally. If your firm is updating its website, hiring new attorneys, or revamping its brand and marketing materials, give us a call. We'd love to explore collaborative opportunities. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 